Good morning. My name is Danielle Morrow, and I will be reading scripture for us this morning. So if you'd please join me in finding Colossians chapter 1. I'll be beginning in verse 24 and reading through chapter 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Danielle. This is a bit of a, of a strange Sunday for us. I've mentioned to a number of you, we've had a handful of members call the last couple days that they've got COVID positive tests, and so... Uh, they are, and we've obviously encouraged them to stay home. And if anybody who has symptoms to do that, it's a good reminder for us that we are still uh, in a pandemic. And, and so a strange Sunday, but all the more we trust that God is at work. And I'd like to now, even as I pray for the sermon today, pray for those members who, who are home and, and who are sick. And would you join me now as I do that? Father God, we are about to see in these words, in these verses, the incredible beauty, power, and even the profound mystery of your gospel leading to your church, which we know to be and we will see to be Christ's very body. What a privilege and joy it is even to just read these words, let alone uh, to sit under them today, and we pray for those who are members of our body now, in a spiritual sense, who are physically ill, um, and, and even in some cases uh, with COVID-19, we pray uh, that you, God, would be with them, that you would sustain them, uh, that you would encourage them, even as they likely are, are in, in, with us now, uh, virtually tuning in that way, God, we pray 
for these brothers and sisters whom we have been knit together in love with, and we pray um, that you would be at work in the life of our church in the weeks and months ahead, making this passage all the more true for us in our experience, God. Give us a profound sense of, of the spiritual weight and significance of what Christ has accomplished in his body on the cross and what he is seeking to accomplish through his body here on earth today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in some ways, it's kind of strange that people enjoy watching war movies uh, where people fight and suffer and die uh, together. You'd think that maybe that would just be depressing to watch. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I don't really like war movies, and I do think it's depressing to watch. But if you talk to someone who really appreciates a good war movie, they will tell you, well, yeah, sure, of course, the, the movies are sad. That's kind of the point, right? They're not depressing at all. They are inspiring. They are encouraging in a way. And, and if you have seen a good movie, a good war movie, I have to admit they are pretty inspiring in a strange way. They are even encouraging. But let's just consider why, why is that? How could it possibly be encouraging to watch people suffer at war? Well, ultimately, I think it's because of the reason for their suffering. We're not just encouraged or inspired in the same way by just any kind of suffering. We are encouraged by people who suffer for a great purpose. And in particular, we are encouraged when that purpose they suffer for intersects with our life and with our purpose. Right? The idea that someone would travel across the country, or the world rather, and risk their life to ward off an enemy in order to keep them from showing up here on our shores to do harm to us and to our family, that's inspiring. That is encouraging. It even gives us sort of a whole new significance to my life, to our lives here and now. I can sit on my porch and drink a cup of coffee later today. Uh, I can take my kids to the park. We can come to church even this morning because someone suffered at war to make it possible. That existential crisis they suffered through on the other side of the world had to do with me and, and with my everyday life. Now that is encouraging. And that is Paul's goal in our passage today. He wants to encourage us with his suffering. See, on one hand, last week, he just told this church about God's all-encompassing plan to reconcile all things through this all-preeminent Christ. Last week's passage was big. It was weighty. It was cosmic. It was existential. On the other hand, in our passage today, he brings that all-encompassing plan of God's down to earth for this one local church. He helps them to see how their life together in Christ is part of this all-encompassing plan. And in particular, Paul tries to connect these dots for them by telling and explaining why he suffered in his ministry and why his suffering should encourage this local church. He wants them to see 
that this glorious Christ he's suffering for, who is preeminent over all things, that glorious, preeminent Christ is also at work in the life of their local church. And in these verses, I think, church, that God wants us to be encouraged this morning for much that same reason. It's because he is reconciling all things in Christ by maturing us in Christ. Our life together, our pursuit of spiritual maturity in Christ is part of God's plan to reconcile all things. This is Paul's point. This is why he suffers. And to make that point, he's going to explain to us why he suffers. And he's going to explain to us why his suffering should encourage us this morning. And so first, let's take a look at part one, and we're going to see why Paul joyfully suffered. Now, I want to tell you, this passage is dense. It's packed with theological truths that are pretty incredible. And so I'm just going to start, I'm just going to give you the answer to each one of these right away so that you can look for it in the passage as I explain it. Here's why Paul joyfully suffered. The answer is so that Jesus can present the entire church mature in him. So again, my goal is to show you that this is, in fact, Paul's point based on what he said. The first thing I want you to notice as we look at the end of chapter 1 here is that Paul makes it pretty clear that in one sense, at least, he was suffering for the church. Look with me at verses 24 and 25. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, speaking to the church in Colossae, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which, of that church, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. You see this? So, so this church that Paul is writing to was part of this worldwide family, which he calls Christ's body, the church, and somehow all of his suffering was for their sake. That is what he means, by the way, when he says that he is, quote, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, at first, it may seem like what he's saying is that somehow what happened on the cross in Christ's afflictions on the cross was not sufficient. It seems like he might be saying, well, I need to somehow add to that or to improve upon that. But that certainly cannot be the case. That, that is not possible that Paul means that because he just told us actually last week that all things will be reconciled, right? Both in heaven and on earth. How? By the blood of Jesus' cross. And so Paul clearly did believe that what took place on the cross, the affliction of Christ's body on the cross was sufficient. It was sufficient to reconcile all things even. It was not lacking in any way. Instead, here he is referring to the afflictions of Christ's body that is the church. In other words, the church still had more suffering to do in order for God's purposes in Christ to fully be accomplished and realized in the world. It's actually perfectly consistent with Paul's own experience. If you remember, Paul used to be an afflictor of the church. He was a persecutor of the church until Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And you know what Jesus said when he appeared to Paul? He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you afflicting 
me. And so do you see, for Paul back then to afflict the members of these local churches was for Paul to add to the afflictions of Christ. And what's happened is the roles have just been reversed. He is now suffering as the body of Christ for the body of Christ. This is what he said. And, and, and as he does, it's as if Christ is suffering in him. This is what he says later in verse 29. He says, for this I toil, struggling, he says, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so I want you to see, Paul is suffering for the church. But notice, he is suffering in order to do something specific. Namely, he is suffering to make the word of God fully known. This was Paul's ministry. This is the practical ins and outs of what Paul was tasked to do. He was entrusted by God to make God's word fully known on behalf of the church. And, and, and the goal, what he was trying to do in this, is to make the message of God's word fully known because, here's why, for a long, long time, he explains, it was not fully known. For a long, long time, this was a mystery. Look with me at verse 26. It says, this mystery was hidden for ages and for generations, but now it has been revealed to his saints, which is another way of saying his church, those people whom he's delivered out of darkness. And he says, to them, Paul says, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the great mystery of God's word that Paul wants to make fully known. In other words, this Jesus, he just explained to us last week, the, the one who rose again to be preeminent over all things, the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things exist, the one in whom all things hold together, that Jesus can be alive in you, he's saying to the members of this local church. And anyone in whom this Jesus is alive, he says, has the hope of glory. The hope of glory. This is the same hope that he mentioned is laid up for them in heaven. Back up in the introduction, by the way. It turns out that hope laid up for us in heaven is not just laid up for us in heaven. <laughs> he is alive in us. He is alive in those whom God has revealed the mystery of the gospel to. He is alive in those who have heard this message of the gospel, who have trusted in Christ, and therefore those who will continue, as he said, stable and steadfast in the faith, not shifting from the hope of this message. And this glorious, all preeminent Christ, alive in us, is the reason for everything good in us. He is the source of everything good. This Jesus alive in us is the hope of our glory. He is the key to our spiritual flourishing. He is the key to our spiritual maturity. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But I want you to notice that this mystery that God has revealed to the saints is not just Christ in you, the hope of glory. Certainly that's the heart of the mystery, but that's not the full picture of what Paul's saying. I want you to look again. I want you to see that God has chosen to reveal to the saints how great 
among the Gentiles are the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, that, that phrase Gentiles just means non-Jews. And so Paul is referring to every person among every nation other than Israel. In other words, here is the mystery that was hidden for ages. Here it is. This is the mystery. Are you ready? The mystery was, how will God use the Old Testament nation of Israel to redeem all the other people of the world? How is he going to reconcile all of these Gentiles to himself? And Paul's point is, that is not a mystery anymore. That is not a mystery. For most of human history, no one has known how Israel would lead to salvation for all the world. But now we do. The saints do. The church does. God has revealed this mystery to us. It's as if the curtain has been pulled back on this mystery. The mystery of this Messiah has finally been revealed. And it was Christ standing behind that curtain all along. He is the one the entire Bible points to. He is God's solution to the curse of sin and the raging of the nations. He is the one God will use to reconcile all things, including all people, to himself, both in heaven and on earth, everything. That is the message that Paul suffered to preach. This is what he wanted to make fully known, that Jesus is at the very center of God's mysterious age-old plan to reconcile all things. But I want you to notice the goal of his preaching as well. Right? That, that's the message he preached, but what did he want to happen as a result of that message and preaching it? Look with me at verse 28. He says, him we proclaim... Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, here's why, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that is what Paul joyfully suffered for. He suffered so that someday Christ himself could present the entire church, everyone, mature in him. I want you to notice how big, how huge, how existential Paul understood his ministry to be. He is working with God on behalf of the church to reconcile all things. And yet at the same time, how intimate and personal the outcome of his ministry was. The outcome was that individual Christians like us, living together in local churches like ours, would become mature in Christ. The outcome is that we would grow up together spiritually to, to start looking and living more and more like Jesus. That's why Paul wanted this church to know about his suffering so that they would be encouraged by just how significant their life together as a, as a local church really was, which is what we're going to see next in part two why Paul's suffering should encourage us. And again, I'm gonna give you the answer right away. It should encourage us because we are a part of this church that Jesus is maturing in himself. We are together as members of this church even, his body. Look with me at verse one of chapter two. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have, again, 
for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And so it seems like Paul wants this church and and this other church and any church that he has not met face to face. He wants all these local churches to know that all this suffering he's doing for the all-encompassing redemptive plan of God has to do with them. He wants them to know that they are a part of his ministry. In many ways, they are the point. They're the outcome of his ministry, even though they've not met him face to face. Even though they could have easily been tempted to feel disconnected from what he was doing in all the world. Paul wants them to know, no, you are not disconnected from what I'm doing in all the world. He wants them to know that their church is part of this all-encompassing plan he's suffering for. He even says he wants them to know about his suffering. Look at verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and, and here's why, this is key, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is what he wants to happen as these churches are knit together in love. Wow. Right? That they would reach that. Now, I know Paul's packed a lot into that. He often does. Helps just to kind of cut to the chase. He wants them to reach the riches of understanding this mystery we talked about. He wants them to understand the riches of, of who Christ is. And understand, in other words, he wants them to reach Christ together as they are knit together in love. And it is in reaching Christ together as his body that they will find all the treasures all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, this one local church being knit together in love was not just a church being knit together in love. Their love for one another, their life together as a church, their spiritual maturity even, all these things mattered. And they mattered not just for them. They mattered for the eternal purposes and plans of God for all things, right? Now that is encouraging. That is encouraging. Now just imagine what this means then for us as a local church today. Ultimately, it means the same, very same thing it meant for them back then. It means that God is reconciling all things in Christ, even now, even today, by maturing us in Christ. We are a part of this body that Paul suffered for long, long ago. We are being knit together in love so that we can reach the fullness of Christ. And the goal of all of this is that someday we would be presented to God mature in Christ. So next, I just want to consider in light of everything Paul said here, how does that actually work? <laughs> How does that work, right? Sounds incredible. Our life and our spiritual maturity has cosmic eternal significance. Sounds great. How does God actually mature us in Christ, though? I think we'll see three ways that Paul tells us, according to Paul, three ways that God matures us in Christ. And the first way is this. He matures us in Christ by the proclamation of Christ's message. By the proclamation of Christ's message. Now, I want you to notice how profound 
according to Paul, the gospel is. This is a man who is not bored with the message he preaches. Right? We have not exhausted the depths of the gospel just by coming to faith in Christ. Not even close, right? That's just the beginning. Coming to faith in Christ. It's just the beginning of even understanding the depths of the gospel. Paul says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all of them are found in Christ. And what this means for us, church, is that there are many treasures for us yet to discover in Christ. Many. We're just getting started. We, we will never reach the end of the spiritual goodness that Christ and his message can produce in us. We'll never reach the end of it. And, and here's what this means. It means we should never tire of hearing this message. We should never stop considering its implications for our life because the deepest, most profound mysteries of God have been revealed in this gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we lack wisdom, we should not run to YouTube to watch all the latest TED Talks. No, we should run to the word of God, asking him to make Christ fully known to us. When we lack the knowledge we need for spiritual maturity, we should not run to Google, we should not run to our favorite news outlets or, or blogs, whatever it may be. We should plumb the depths of this mystery of Christ revealed to us in Scripture because that's where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. But the worst thing we could do for our spiritual maturity is to become bored with the gospel. If we are bored by this message, then we do not understand it. If we are bored by this message, we are, we are not seeing it accurately. We need to constantly surround ourselves with this message, constantly reflect on its significance, both for us as individuals and for us as a local church. This is the key to our spiritual maturity. And, and I want you to know, this is ultimately the reason for most of what we do as a local church. Most of the things we do together may seem ordinary. It's not. <laughs> I want you to see this is why we do expository preaching. This is why we've opened this passage, read this passage, and I'm explaining this passage and applying this passage rather than just telling you my ideas about how to be a Christian. This is why we do that. It's so that God can keep revealing the mystery of Christ to us as we toil to make it fully known to everyone, right? Just in case you thought I was just preaching a sermon today. That's not what I'm doing. God is revealing the mystery of the gospel today. This is why we do members gatherings. It's to watch as God gathers saints into Christ's body so that someday we can all be presented in him, mature in Christ. Just in case you thought those were church meetings. It's not what those are. The gospel is changing things in those meetings. This is why we do small groups, so that we can be knit together in love. Why? To reach all the riches of wisdom and knowledge that can only be found in Christ. Just in case you thought that was another obligation you needed to just, you know, kind of stick somewhere in your week. No. No. I want you to notice, church, all of these ministries are just different ways for us to proclaim the gospel to one another. 
And the reason we do them is so that someday we can present everyone mature in Christ. And so is this what you want most of all from your involvement at Redemption Church? Is to hear and to be changed over and over again by the message of the gospel. Is that how we measure the success of our church and its ministry? Uh, by our commitment to faithfully proclaim this gospel to one another and among one another in order to apply it to all of life with one another? Is that why we would invite friends to church even? Is that why we want our friends to come? So that someday they can be presented with us mature in Christ. Is that what we want for our unbelieving friends? Or could it be that you are maybe here in search still of some other path to spiritual maturity? I hope not. Uh, and especially after this series, I hope we will all see with crystal clarity in the pages of Colossians that Christ is the only path. It is him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, church. This is the first way that God matures us in Christ. It is by the proclamation of Christ's message. And next way he does this is, number two, by our life together in Christ's body. God matures us by our life together as Christ's body. I want you to notice Paul did not just suffer for the sake of individual Christians. Nope. His goal was not just to see some people separately come to faith and be presented mature on their own in Christ. That's not the plan. <laughs> no, he suffered for the sake of Christ's body, the church, as a minister of Christ's body, the church, so that everyone in Christ's body, the church, can be presented mature in Christ body, the church. You see this? I'm just convinced this is an important part of what it even means to be in Christ. What, what else could it possibly mean other than to be in his body? This is part of what it means. Now, the only way into his body is by faith in the gospel, without a doubt. This is what God is doing. That's the whole first point of application. He matures us by the proclamation of Christ's message but it is by being knit together in love as a body by the power of that message that we are being made mature in him. This is why Paul rejoiced, I think, to see this church's good order. You think of a list of really impressive things of a local church. People are shopping for churches. Do they really look for churches with good order? Right? I mean, what does that even mean? It just, they, they got along. They lived together well. They went about the life of their church in an orderly way. They did things like appointing elders in an orderly way. Uh, they loved and respected those elders. They didn't dismiss or ignore them. They, they followed those elders in their spiritual wisdom. There was, there was good order. It was clear how the church should work and how you can thrive in the church. And that mattered, I want you to see to Paul, that mattered. Because he knew that churches like this one, which made up the body of Christ on earth, were essential to God's plan to reconcile all things in Christ. 
He knew that this local church was not just being knit together in love like some other kumbaya circle. There are all of these all over the world. Somehow he knew they were being knit together in Christ, in his body, which died and rose and is preeminent over all things, who is the point and purpose of everything. What does that even mean? How could that be? I have to tell you, I don't really know. I don't really know, but it sounds awesome. I don't know, but it sounds awesome. I do know at least one thing it means. It means that if we're kind of bored with our fellowship at Redemption, we're kind of struggling, you know, to find the motivation to grow together and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> we are not seeing things clearly. We are not. We need to be shaken awake to the glorious mystery of Christ revealed to us. And so here is what this means in particular about how we mature in Christ. It means that as a church, everything we do together by faith in Christ, everything we do has cosmic spiritual significance. Everything. On one hand, it may seem really ordinary. Seem like being a church, reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, praying, getting coffee, bearing burdens, joining a small group. It may seem very ordinary. On the other hand, there's nothing ordinary about it at all. Nothing. When you extend grace to that church member who has wronged you or even just annoyed you, that has eternal, cosmic, spiritual significance. When you're really, really busy, but you still find time to invest in that church member who you get a sense really needs your encouragement, that has cosmic, spiritual significance. When you wake up on Sunday morning dead tired, but you still get up and you come to church, you don't even just come to church, but you engage, you invest, you pray with somebody even, that has cosmic spiritual significance. Hear me clearly, please. Not because we need to do all of these things in order to make ourselves spiritually mature. No, this is a much bigger deal than that. It's because God is making us mature in Christ by knitting us together in love in the body of Christ. This is his plan. As we toil and struggle together, which we must do, church, it is not just us toiling and struggling together. Christ himself is toiling and struggling through us to make us mature. That's how he does it. Finally, there is there's one more way for us to grow mature in Christ. First, God does it by the proclamation of Christ then by our life together in Christ, and finally he does it by keeping us from plausible messages that delude our faith in Christ. It makes perfect sense because it starts with the gospel and it leads to fellowship. So if we want to reverse engineer that, well, we're going we're to get distracted by other messages that corrupt our fellowship, right? This is what he's saying. I want you to notice what Paul says here throughout this entire book so far up to this point, really, everything Paul has said is about the least plausible thing a person could possibly say. Uh, for a claim to be plausible, by the way, that word plausible means it's just evidently true without much further thought. 
So, for example, I'll give you, give you one example. Uh, Carl Durnell watched Star Wars last night. That's plausible, right? Now, I don't know if he did, but, but they did name their daughter after an obscure Star Wars character, right? The man loves Star Wars. So if I hear that he watched Star Wars, I don't really need much more evidence to believe that. That's, yeah, I, I buy it. That's plausible, right? Now, by compar- that's what it means to be plausible. Now, by comparison, here's what Paul is saying. Listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying that the fullness of God dwells in a human man who died, rose again, and reigns forever in heaven so that God can reconcile all things to himself. How? By redeeming sinful people who believe in that resurrected man and are gathered into these local churches which somehow are kind of like his body on the earth. What? That's not plausible. Sounds more like a divine mystery hidden for ages to me. Sounds like the kind of message that God needs to reveal to us in order for us even to believe it, as Paul says he does. Now, it is true. Okay, we know that. But it's not plausible. It is not evidently true to everyone who hears it just by virtue of hearing it. No. And I want you to notice Paul is writing to this church about this implausible mystery of God revealed to them in Christ so that no one will delude them with plausible arguments. (laughs) You see that uh, word to delude means to make something less potent. It's like putting more water in the Kool-Aid. It's just like, don't do that, right? (laughs) Makes it less potent, less powerful. Paul is concerned that people will come along and make this church's faith less potent, and here's how, is by offering some other path to spiritual maturity, which seems plausible. It seems more evidently true even than the gospel. Here, eat these foods, not these foods. That's the key to spiritual maturity, and and in the first century that would have seemed plausible. Right? Or here, try fasting until you look gaunt and sickly. Just try it. You'll see what I mean. This is how you really experience spiritual life. It seemed plausible, again, in the first century. But, but, but Paul knew as plausible as those arguments may have seemed, they were very dangerous because they distracted Christians from this gloriously implausible mystery of Christ in all through Christ in them. And so... What plausible arguments are people making today that may delude our faith in Christ? I want to share just two of them. There are many. I want to share two. Uh, First one is this. America is a Christian nation. Ooh, uh uh-oh, right? That seems plausible, doesn't it? Just look around. There are church buildings everywhere. Everyone you talk to has at least some idea of who Jesus is. Right? We live in Tosa. On the side of our garbage cans in Tosa, it says, in God we trust. I mean, our trash is Christian <laughs> in Tosa, right? There's something plausible about it. There's something to this. It's, it's plausible. Without a doubt, Christianity has played a vital role in the founding and in the history of America. But what does it even mean for a country to be Christian. 
Can a country be in Christ in the way Paul is talking about here? Based on what Paul says, should we even expect there to be a Christian country if King Jesus is already preeminent over all things, both in heaven and on earth? Maybe that's not as plausible as we think. More importantly, though, how could a plausible message like this delude us? How could it delude us? Subtly, but it could. Well, uh, it, it could make us more passionate about this country than about God's plan to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth. It could do that. Uh, it could make us bitter and hostile toward our unbelieving neighbors because they're, quote, ruining our Christian nation. Uh, when we should be longing to see everyone presented mature with us in Christ. That could be. It could make us kind of apathetic about our church even because it's not American enough for us and the pastor keeps telling us not to put our hope in our, our, in our politics. That could be. A plausible message with the potential to dilute our faith in Christ. Here's another plausible message we hear all the time. Love is love. Sort of the mantra of the LGBTQ revolution. Love is love. I mean, you have to admit, that sounds plausible. Anybody want to say that love is not love? Right? I don't think I... The real argument, though, of course, is that Everyone should have the right to marry anyone, regardless of their gender. And increasingly, in large part because of mantras like this, that is seeming more and more plausible. By the week, it seems, even among many Christians, right? If two people love each other, why wouldn't they get married? But what is marriage? And who gets to define that? Uh, what if God's design for marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, is actually a picture of this gloriously implausible mystery of Christ and the church, which Paul says that it is. What if our gender is an essential part of understanding who God has made us to be? What if families with mother and a father are essential to every child's spiritual flourishing, right? But never mind that, we're often told. It's, all, it's very easy, guys, very plausible. Love is love. How might a plausible message like that delude us as Christians? Well, it could ruin our confidence in God's word because we have to do all kinds of gymnastics to convince ourselves that it says the exact opposite of what it's always said. That could be. It could make us apathetic about sin altogether because there really is no way to define sin with clarity apart from the truth of God's word. That could be. It could also make us bitter and angry with the church because we've convinced ourselves that all those other Christians who still believe this stuff, they're just less loving than me for believing what the church has believed for millennia. So we want, we want to distance ourselves from the church Oof, because the, the church is the problem now. People are constantly leaving churches these days. They're constantly even, even abandoning the faith altogether because of plausible arguments like these that have diluted their faith. And, and Paul is saying, 
That's why I'm telling you about my suffering. So that that won't happen. Because this message of Christ and our life together in him, it is the only path to spiritual maturity. Listen, I know it sounds implausible. I know it seems like you're just kind of being a church. I know it's tempting to keep searching even for some better path to experiencing God. But there is no better path. Church, this is the only way. God is reconciling all things in Christ by maturing us in Christ.